It's taken years and years. Everyone's blessed with one special thing. Thousands of listener requests for more local programming on the weekends on 710 ESPN. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And more Cambros on the radio. You all know exactly who I am. Say my name. And now, after hosting the popular late night happy hour on Twitter during the pandemic. So, you. so successful was the late night happy hour that we already have a spinoff. You, you get I, to uh, do it on actual radio. We've given the people what they wanted. Say my name. The Kamenetsky brothers have their own show. <laughs> to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with Andy and Brian Kamenetsky. The Cambros. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. It's fun. It's smart. It's the most fun you can have on a Saturday morning. Um, it's actually a pretty nice little Saturday. Time for your Saturday Morning Happy Hour. Right, right now. now. 710 ESPN, Kamenetsky Brothers, Brian and Andy. Um, I, I always like to make fun, Andy, of the 74-minute long uh Chris Morales rejoins. I will say they're more fun when they're about you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> my, my note for Chris, not long enough. Yeah, not long enough. Um, joining us right now, uh, senior NBA writer for the undefeated Mark Spears. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Mark. We really appreciate it. Congrats on the show, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, uh, it's the debut week. Um, we want to get into what's going on with the with the NBA, obviously, but this news in the NFL and the way that uh, players you know, basically challenged Roger Goodell and the NFL and immediately got them to sort of take the position that, that they wanted. What, what was your, your take on what you've seen in the NFL over the last 48 hours? Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's better late than never. Um, I, I think a lot of times players um, – underestimate their power, their voice. And while this was all going on, you know, uh, when Kaepernick was still in the league, um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what could happen if they had that voice then, especially when, you know, the owners in the league were doing what they were doing to take the eyes off the message. Um, I all along knew and was, had nothing to do with the flag and all, always was about police brutality, but the message from the beginning got construed uh, by the media, by the owners, by the teams. And, you know, now it's just, it's, it's hard for me to get excited about the NFL and, and a lot of the owners and really believe that they are suddenly changed. want to be one and and want to be united when they fought so hard in the other direction you know so i mean i i don't know i i've lost faith faith in nfl a lot um for a variety of reasons but the main one is just the treatment of of kaepernick the not paying attention to the real issue making it about the flag when it wasn't and then now all of a sudden i'm supposed to believe that they that the league cares the cowboys care <laughs> that's a that's a tough one one thing like i thought what the players did was beautiful and now they know their power but i, I wish they had known their power two years ago because 
if there was one sports entity, I mean, and, and I know the NBA is predominantly black and it certainly has its power. And, um, but America loves the NFL. And I think perhaps a lot of the things could have been viewed differently right now, or, or maybe George Floyd, you know, I'm not going to say police brutality would have ended, but if the NFL would have been about this two years ago, perhaps our world would have been a lot different already. At least Talk in America, me. you know, because I, uh, it's just, I don't know. I'm rambling on and on, man. And what the players did is amazing. And I'm glad they realized that uh, their voice, when they use it, actually can, can create change. Uh, talking with Mark Spears, senior NBA writer for The Undefeated. Um, you've got a piece up now, um, an interview with Kevin Durant, where you talk both about the, the current climate right now with the protests and unrest around the country, but also basketball returning. And, you know, long and the short with Durant, he won't be playing. But he did express some ambivalence about the NBA returning. What do you see, Mark, I guess two-part question, as the biggest obstacles with keeping that NBA turn from return from running smoothly, but also how, if at all, do you think the current climate will affect basketball's eventual return? Uh, I actually think that, you know, we call Disneyland the happiest place on earth, right? I mean, yeah. it, I think the NBA bubble is going to be the safest place on earth. It, it looks like they're going to allow like 1500 people there. Um, everybody has to get tested perhaps daily. Nobody else could come in when the second round begins and they are allowing uh, family members to come in. They have to be quarantined for a week before they could get there. It's <laughs> a lot. Our society we are living in now is not even close to that, you know? Right. So, and I think for the people that are actually in that bubble, man, it, like that's probably going to be the, one of the healthiest places in the world, you know? So, um, what does it, how does it impact next season? It's going to be very interesting because if you're a team that doesn't make this, this group that's going to Orlando, you get a significant amount of rest. Like think about all the rest of Warriors are getting right now. And they're going to get a top pick, you know, for next season. Whereas if the Lakers or Clippers make it to the finals, either one of them make it, um, Right now, it sounds like they get two months off. That's tough, man. That's Why, tough. actually, Mark, right I think now, it's less the NBA than that. I mean, tentatively if, if, expected yeah. to start next season, I guess, what, December, early December? And that's, I think they want to keep it that way. But when it's all said and done, man, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed that back because that just seems like too, too short of a rest for the teams that make it to the final. Uh, we're talking to Mark Spears, senior NBA writer at the Undefeated. You know, I, one of my theories as to why the NFL turned the way it did and and, and quickly came to the position of the players um, was because, at least in part, they looked at where the NBA is right now with their labor setup, and they looked at where the MLB is uh, with their relationship with players. And so we kind of go one or two ways here, um, and they went towards the one that is pro player. How much influence do you think the the NBA has had on that? And why do you think the NBA has developed such a a solid relationship with its players? 
starts at the top. Adam Silver, phenomenal commissioner. Um, you guys know very well how he handled everything with Donald Sterling. Um, and so the NBA also never tried to silence its state players. Um, uh, I remember when that season was starting after Kaepernick was protesting and, you know, basically um, you know, NBA never silenced them, never told them they couldn't, uh, you know, have some kind of protest of their own. Um, I know there are some rules in the CBA in terms of, you know, being present for the national anthem. But, um, you know, he even did like David West. He was doing a, a quiet protest in which during the national anthem, he was standing two steps behind everybody else uh, because he wasn't happy with a lot of things. Um, so um, that's the difference is the NBA, you know, from the top actually cares about a lot more about humanity than the NBA NFL did. And so Roger Goodell never, he always sided with, um, sided with the owners and not the players. And so that's the big difference is, is the leadership at top because the leadership at top, you know, if he knows, I, I, I think Adam Silver would have had a hard time with the owners if they were trying to go the NFL route because that's not what he's about. But, Obviously, Goodell didn't have a hard time with that. Talking with Mark Spears, senior NBA writer for The Undefeated. You can get all of Mark's coverage of the NBA at The Undefeated, ESPN, exploring the intersections of sports, race, and culture. The the last question we have for you, Mark, um, you have a really good interview up on The Undefeated with Shannon Lee, the daughter of Bruce Lee, um, ahead of the 30 for 30 uh, documentary, Be Water. And we're actually going to be talking with Bao Win, the director of the yeah, movie you guys next. Talk to Shannon, man. She lives in LA. Okay, oh, we'll cool. Try to track her down. I did not, uh, did not realize that. We'll definitely try to track her down. You asked yeah. her a really interesting question about why she thinks Bruce Lee is so beloved and uh, popular within the black community. And I actually wanted to ask you the same question as a black man. Why you, why you think that is? You know, I, the little dollar theater that was available when I grew up in San Jose, uh, certainly it, they would have movies out that were, you know, out from today, but they also would always have a, a movie in there that was just popular that people liked to go see. And the Bruce Lee movies in the black community were always popular. So you could always go to the dollar cinema and check it out. And, and I think it basically, I heard old Dave Chappelle joke, that he said as a kid, he liked the Incredible Hope because the Incredible Hope was green and he was black. So it was somebody of color on the screen. <laughs> and I think <laughs> with, with Bruce Lee, it was like, okay, he, he, he's not black, but it's, you know, somebody of color on the screen. And man, he's incredible athletically, uh, was tough, was, was fighting against, you know, some kind of power all the time and and if you go learn a lot of his story man he dealt with a lot of racism not only in america but in his native china and so uh, i think a lot of black people love what he stood for and he wouldn't take roles that were lesser um after having to do that so much early on in his career you know i wish that he the impact we could have saw the impact that he would have had um, he died at a time where everything was 
finally starting to click, then it didn't matter that he was Asian. You know, before, I mean, remember uh, David Carradine played an Asian man? You know? Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah. And Kung Fu. In a role you know, that he watched. Watch a documentary yeah. is deep about it. Is they're like, well, look, you know, white America's not ready for an Asian lead. He He broke that barrier down. And I think the bridge that he could have had for the Asian community in terms of getting more Asian people or people of color in the screens in the 70s would have been tremendous, but he passed away before he was able to get gain all the riches of that. So I, I think that's what it is, is not only was he just an amazing martial arts guy, tough guy, but he, he was changing society as well. Mark Spears, senior NBA writer for The Undefeated. Thanks so much for coming on and giving us the time. I know you mean you've just been doing a ton of work, being pulled in a ton of directions. We really appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it, Mark. Everything changes for the best, brother. But uh, Absolutely. Hit me up, and man. I'll try to see if I can connect you guys with Shannon. That'd, That'd be, be awesome. That'd be fantastic. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so Mark Spears, uh, that was awesome. And coming up next, Bao Win, as Andy mentioned, the director of Be Water, the Bruce Lee documentary that debuts tomorrow night uh, on ESPN, the 30 for 30. He'll be next, 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. With the Cambros. Saturday morning happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Of course, uh, this is the spinoff show, Andy. The one that's on the radio. Yeah. It's the spinoff show of the nightly show, uh, which you can catch from 10 to 11 every night. We, we bring a guest on uh, and we just talk for an hour with that person. No commercials, no you know breaks, whatever. It's just a talk like sports, a talk non sports, uh, whatever. We just keep the conversation going. It's fun, it's varied. We've had a lot of uh, very different people coming on. It's fantastic. It's a lot um, of fun. So Monday night, Ohm Young the Sook going to join us. Uh, Ten forty-five, Clinton Yates, um, Bao Win, the director of Be Water, the thirty for thirty documentary, which debuts tomorrow on ESPN, six p.m. I believe it is uh, the Be Water documentary, which is supposed to be awesome. Um, and, and long, uh, long in the telling. I mean, it's just, he's a guy, I think, Andy Bruce Lee, who kind of captures a lot of people's imaginations, but you don't necessarily know much about, you know, and, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's been a long time. You know, he died in, in 1973 at 32 years old. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it, I, I, I love the 30 for 30s. I'm really excited about this one. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I've been a Bruce Lee fan for a long, long time. Yes. And just what what he meant in terms of representation in Hollywood, the way he changed action movies and the way they're presented. Like, Enter the Dragon, people may not realize, actually came out posthumously. Like, Bruce Lee had already died before, like a month or so before the movie came out. And one of the things that I think is really crazy about this, and I uh, want to ask uh, about when about that when, when we speak with him. Uh, excellent. Um, we are we are actually now joined by Bao Win, the director of Be Water, the thirty th- for thirty documentary debut Sunday six o'clock local time. Bao, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? 
Great, great. Uh, we really appreciate the time. Um, I, get, I guess to begin with a movie like Be Water and attempting to make a documentary about Bruce Lee, where do you even attempt to start? Just because there's so much to unpack with his life and his legacy. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I'm approaching any film, I try to take it from more like honest perspective and personal perspective and just a starting point. I'm not related to Bruce Lee in any way. So, um, but at the same time, I, there's, there's an importance in authenticity of voice as a filmmaker. And so I just think about, uh, the first time I saw a Bruce Lee film, which was when I was like eight years old. Um, I was born 10 years after Enter the Dragon came out and after he passed away. So, um, yeah, when I watched it, it was something really awe-inspiring since uh, I wasn't used to seeing heroes that look like me. I'm Asian-American um, on screen. I was used to seeing like a negative betrayal usually of a sidekick or a bumbling servant or, or the villain uh, in most cases. So when I saw him and just saw how much energy and confidence he had on screen, it was really just um, something different because I'd never seen a hero that looked like me again. And... So that was, that was kind of the perspective that I wanted to take with the film because I feel like many people own up to Bruce Lee as this global cultural icon, but they forget that he was um, an Asian American, an immigrant American in many ways, living in the 1960s where, you know, the Vietnam War is just starting to boil up. Uh, a decade earlier was the Korean War, and then two decades earlier was World War II where the Japanese were the enemy. So the face of the Asian-American male was very much the face of the enemy. And so I wanted to um, get more personal about his struggles, his fears, his vulnerabilities, and all kind of the prejudices that he had to face. And we're talking to Bao Wei, the director of Be Water, the 30 for 30 documentary that debuts tomorrow night on ESPN, 6 p.m. local time. How, how much did you find that the... The, the, the core of who Bruce Lee was as a person, some of these issues that you're talking about, conflicted with that sort of pop culture, iconic presentation of him that we have, you know, in 2020, all, you know, 40 something years after his death. I think because he passed away so early, uh, he's become immortalized into who he was at his prime at 32. And in a way, he's become a symbol and an icon, for better or for worse. I mean, because he's a symbol, people can project their different experiences on him, uh, like I do. But um, <laughs> we don't know him as a human being. We don't know him as a person. I feel like if we don't really connect to someone on a humanistic level, we can never truly aspire to be like them and kind of figure out how where they came from and and really go behind uh, the mythology and and so that was, again, another uh, goal of mine making the film is to unpack that mythology a bit more and um, see him as a, as a person rather than as a myth. Along those lines, in terms of the the person that Bruce Lee was and the humanity, what, what are some things that you learned about him in terms of who he was that you didn't necessarily expect? I think most the people who knew know his life story or just know his biography um, think of him as many things, a martial artist, a movie icon, and also as a teacher, right? He, he famously taught uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, Steve McQueen. Um, but talking to the people who knew him most intimately, and that was one, that was 
uh, another thing that's very different in this film and many other past uh, films about him is that we talk, it's 90 to 95% of the people we talk to knew him intimately. It's not a legacy film, as I mentioned earlier. And so I learned how much he absorbed from everyone he met, from his students, from his uh, girlfriends. And uh, I mean, I think two interesting stories is um, his first student, Jesse Glover, who he met in Seattle, was the African-American man, and Bruce had just moved to America uh, earlier that year. And uh, he became Bruce's first student, um, and he was a victim of police brutality, and that's why he wanted to learn martial arts. So I think um, that first interaction and that kind of idea of America and what America could be and what America is really informed Bruce Lee's kind of approach to the rest of his life and how he didn't try to see people because of their race or where they came from, but he wanted to see people for the sincerity of their character. And then also uh, his first girlfriend, Amy Sanzo, who uh, she's never spoken about Bruce on camera before. Um, and so she's Japanese-American, and she was in the internment camps. Uh, and at the, again, Bruce had just arrived to America, so he felt very kind of like an outsider. He felt very Asian in America. And then he was also trying to assimilate to America. But uh, what Amy taught him was this idea of being an Asian-American. Like, you don't have to be either or. You can be, you know, that's the beauty of America, that you can take the best parts of your culture and, and make it into your identity. And, you know, it should be said that Bruce never wanted to be seen as Asian or American. He wanted to see, be seen as a human being. But there is, you know, internally, psychologically, as a as a person, it's important to have that strong sense of identity of who you are. And I think uh, Amy definitely helped instill that in him. I, I about, We're talking about when the, the director of Be Water, the, the 30 for 30 that uh, debuts tomorrow, 6 o'clock on uh, ESPN. And I, I don't mean to try to to assign significance or things that, that may not be either intentional or you think parallels that may not be there, but is there something about, you know, the story that you're telling in, in terms of, of Bruce Lee and, and the way you've related to us that makes the, the, when it's debuting, you know, what's going on right now in the world that sort of, how do you feel it kind of adds to that conversation that we're all seem to be having right now as a country? I mean, I, I never predicted that uh, it would be coming out in such sure. times in America. And, I, I, I you know, it, it's history repeats itself in many ways. So I'm not surprised that this is happening in America. Uh, and I, I hope that people will take away the message of, that Bruce Lee was trying to uh, teach and educate his students is that, yeah, there's people are different, but we're all human beings. We need to treat each other fairly and also kind of fight alongside those who are marginalized, those are, who are being oppressed. Uh, one of his, again, his most famous students was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, but Kareem also taught Bruce about the Black Liberation Movement and civil rights. This is the late 1960s, so it obviously was also a very tumultuous time in America. And I think um, there's a lesson to be learned about uh, how other people of color, uh, white Americans, can kind of take this time to really listen to what's going on uh, in African-American communities and the racial injustice that's been perpetuated for centuries and how we can be allies. I think Bruce, if he was still alive, he would be, you know, walking side by side with some of these protesters and definitely uh, giving his voice 
to uh, people who have been uh, victims of brutality and racial inequity. Talking with Bao Win, the director of Be Water, the 30 for 30 documentary debuting tomorrow on ESPN, 6 o'clock local time. About Bruce's son, Brandon, also died tragically young. And it, it was at a time where he was trying very consciously as an actor to move outside the world of just martial arts. So he specifically did The Crow because it was more of a dramatic role. Did you get any sense through the research that you did or people you talked with about what Bruce had imagined for the scope of his entire career on film or what he might have even thought was possible given the obstacles in place for an Asian leading man? Yeah, for sure. I mean, after uh, he completed Enter the Dragon, and tragically, he didn't get to see it uh, being released. Um, uh, he, you know, he passed away a few weeks before. Uh, he he always dreamt of bringing Hong Kong cinema to Hollywood, but also being more than just a martial arts star. He wanted to be the leading man. He wanted to be the romantic lead. He wanted to play dramatic roles and. You know, it's as for me working in the industry as an Asian American and not having seen so many people who look like me on screen in heroic roles. It's it's really sad to think like if Bruce Lee was still alive, he would have been this great advocate for for representation for the last you know forty plus years, and there has been a void of of someone who, to to lead that uh, conversation and that dialogue. We're still having that conversation today. Um, and that's kind of a sad point to make because I think until we stop having that conversation where it's not needed anymore, that's when we kind of hit the, the mountaintop in, in some way. Bowen is the director of Be Water. It is the 30 for 30 debuting tomorrow uh, on ESPN. Um, I'm always excited to, to watch a 30 for 30, and I am really excited to see this one Um Thank you so much for giving us the time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I'm stoked yeah, for I, this one. Uh, it, it's <laughs> really it's stoked. Like, but you know, particularly as I, you know, start you start to read a little bit more about the film, Andy, and you start to see some of these connections. It feels so timely, and it's another one of these sort of accidents of history, accidents of timing, that we're going to get a story that can help round out and help inform the, this critical discussion that we are all seeming to finally engage with on a more honest level. Um, so the 30 for 30 documentary be water is tomorrow night, six o'clock on ESPN. Uh, we have, Clint I also want to, when oh, we sure, get back, when we get back, uh, I want to just bring up quickly the point that I was going to make about enter the dragon uh, before bow ended up joining us just because I think it really speaks to just how big a star and an icon Bruce Lee became. And, uh, Clinton Yates at 1045 and Andy's point about Enter the Dragon. Next yes. Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. Get up, Clinton Yates is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Uh, and Andy, as we finish up the, the inaugural Saturday morning happy hour. Glorious. Really two hours, but that's okay. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, 710 ESPN. Uh, you 
had a point to make about Enter the Dragon. Of course, we just talked about Wynn, the 30 for 30 director of the documentary coming out tomorrow. Yeah, I, I was thinking about Bruce Lee in terms of the questions that I wanted to ask Bao. And it really just sort of dawned on me. And, I, and I've seen Enter the Dragon a billion times. But, like, just how big a star Bruce Lee became in that moment and just what an icon he was becoming and the charisma that he had to make that movie such a smash massive hit because it is a really bizarre movie <laughs> like when you think about the oh, actual it's, plot it's insane it's uh, yeah the, the plot of enter the dragon where bruce lee and two other guys infiltrate this fortress that is like a criminal enterprise underworld moving drugs moving prostitution but also they have these huge martial arts tournaments on them as well. Like basically right. on this equivalent of Alcatraz. It's like an Alcatraz style rock island. Like that is a bizarre movie. It's very like strange. that's a bizarre I, log yeah. line to have be it. It's it's one of those it's one of those movies where like you can lump it in. Remember like when when HBO first became a thing, they only owned rights to like two movies. One of them was Victory, the old Stallone yeah. Michael Caine Pele movie. Where mm-hmm. they're they're in a in a in a German Nazi German prison camp, and they're playing their way to try to get to like it's like to freedom, um, and they they come up with a plan where they they can escape the camp, Andy, like they t- they can tunnel their way out, but they choose to play the soccer game before they leave. It's like guys, we can be free of the of the prison camp, but we need to do our soccer game first. Like, I don't think that's how normal people would behave. Like part of the backlash against cats, you know, the, the, the train wreck, the movie cats, the live action movie, isn't just that it's a terrible film. It's that people actually looked at the plot of cats. I just Googled it. This is the plot of cats. A tribe of cats must decide yearly, which one will ascend to the heavy side lair and come back to a new life. So basically which cat goes up to heaven and then is reincarnated in the regular world. What the hell is that? <laughs> no, no. This was the foundation of this musical that ran in New York for like decades. It's, it's legendary. I don't know. It, it, it's I, about I mean, a bunch of cats deciding who dies to be reincarnated. That makes no sense. So you are correct about End of the Dragon. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's a truly <laughs> bizarre movie. And doesn't really make any sense at all. And it is a massive hit, should be a massive hit, entertaining as hell. And like, you know, Bruce Lee's charisma just jumps off the screen. But at a time when, you know, it's not like we're swimming in Asian leads now, but back then it was pretty much unheard of for that to be the movie that draws in American audiences, like truly is just a credit to how insanely charismatic and fun Bruce Lee was to watch just the magnetism. It wasn't again, right? It wasn't Andy just a movie that has become like a cult classic since then. It made it made like ninety million dollars in nineteen seventy two or seventy three or whenever it came out. Or correct? Like, it was a it was a big deal then. It's it's also just it's been so influential and and you know it started like a uh, you know martial arts kung fu. And I think they used to call it like chop sake type like i think that's what literally what they called the genre something like you know black exploitation movies were called black exploitation right. like like it started its own genre of films and like you know the idea of these martial arts movies starting up came from this movie enter the dragon which again is incredible i love it and you know the 
the spectacle of it moves it past the bizarreness of the plot. But the plot really is bizarre. So, again, just a tribute to Bruce Lee. And I cannot wait to see this documentary. It's going to be awesome. Um, So we have Clinton Yates coming on next, Andy. And he is one of the people that I know who likes baseball. Like, really loves baseball. And I know a few. I mean, like Steve Mason, Travis Rogers, our friend Matt. Um, but the, the world seems to be losing those people who, who are attuned to the, the MLB calendar and care about this in ways that, that, uh, other people don't seem to. Um, I, I gotta, I am fascinated. By what I want baseball to come back, but I am fascinated by the experiment of what happens if it doesn't this year. Like if there is no baseball, what it means at a time when everybody's habits are changing and everybody's kind of figuring out new ways of doing things. I don't think they can just figure it out, come back in 2021 and everything's going to be okay. It's, it's not the same thing as when baseball went on the strike in 94. And obviously it hurt baseball and it was something that they needed to recover from. But at the same time, as you were saying, the world wasn't the same as it is now. You didn't have as many options just on television as you had now. Like, you know, sports were still basically on three large networks, maybe four, depending on what Fox was doing at that point in their history. You know, you did, you didn't have Netflix. You didn't have stuff on Amazon cable hadn't exploded to where it is now, where every, every single network is doing original programming. Sports like MMA didn't, for all intents and purposes, exist. You know, soccer has become more popular in this country. L.A. has two soccer teams. So you're correct. The idea of that competition and the idea of potentially disappearing out of the public sphere is something that's going to be different from baseball this time around. I also think, Brian, baseball faces an interesting question of, okay, if the owners get what they've been pushing with the idea of this, we'll give you 48, 54 games at regular salary, but that's it. What happens if people decide, you know what, 54 games is great. That's enough for us. I don't think think anybody will come down on 54 games, but I – I do. Th- there's a lot of space, Andy, between 55, 60 games and 162. Like that sure. is one of those. Like, you know, you you do need to be careful to some degree uh, in terms look, of, of getting what you wish, what you what you're asking for. I look. I like baseball. I know a lot of people who like baseball, but I also know a lot of people who think baseball season is interminably long, as it is, and it yeah. is hard for baseball to create urgency for games in May and June when you know you've got 120 more of these to go. If you could just like, start the season in August, that'd be great. But, but in that's some ways, what this would do. that's my point, is if, say, you have a 70-game season and audiences decide, you I mean, know what, even a, even that 120, works. Even 120 would make a significant difference sure. just in the, in the urgent. I just, I look at this and, like, my kids, my kids aren't baseball fans. I, I will say that, but, like, when my when my son played baseball, he had no interest. They look at it and they think it's kind of dull. The Dodgers will be fine. The Dodger experience. This is an, a city that, but most cities. Well, they've been off TV anyway. Right. Most cities aren't L.A. Most cities 
are places where the baseball team draws anywhere from you know sixteen to twenty five thousand people a game, and half the stadium is empty. We you know, we're just not with all of our sports in L.A. We're not used to the the normal experience that other cities have. We sell out everything. The Clippers are sold out. The the Dodgers draw well. The Angels draw well. Both soccer teams sell out every game. Like, but if you go to other cities, there are empty seats. There are empty seats at NBA games, where, you know, except when the Lakers play. And so that's the part that we don't see here. And baseball will be crushing themselves if they put themselves in this position. But that's this is a question, Andy, that's not really for us. It's a question for the great Clinton Yates of ESPN, who will join us next. It's the Saturday morning happy hour with the Kamenetsky Brothers on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. All right, our guest right now, Andy, on the Saturday morning happy hour. You see him uh, on the uh, on the around the horn. He writes for the undefeated. He is all over the place. And this weekend, Andy, at ten o'clock tomorrow, uh, they're getting the band back together. Yes, uh, they are. Nina and Dominique Foxworth, the morning roast. I guess it's like a one time only reunion concert. Uh, ten a.m. Clinton Yates. I have to say, the the breadth of 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 range that you've shown this week speaking not only just about incredible uh, about incredibly profound and important social issues but also doing a deep dive into 1990s baseball cards <laughs> is one of the most tremendous things that i have ever seen and so congratulations to you you are a very talented man i appreciate that that means a lot it's been a it's been a long week in america and it's been a long year in america and it was one of those things where where the whole baseball card thing came from was just I needed to detach for a while, you know, because mm-hmm. as much as we need to process everything, as much as all the information that we have for us is something that can educate us, something that can harm us, something that can bring us together, sometimes you got to pull away. And I got to that point this week, and what I decided to do was take a deep dive into some baseball cards that my homie Dave Cox that I went to college with sent me. Because he knows what my TV setup is, and it turned out to be a pretty fun ride. But let me tell you this. Since we are back on the radio, what I know how to do is talk trash on the radio. And y'all's promo picture wearing those suits is ridiculous. <laughs> it's horrible. I've never seen you guys wear suits. It's horrible. It's because, it's Clinton, they haven't taken our photo. You, I guess you have to be a certain level of importance for them to bother taking your picture at the station. For, and they haven't taken those. Those pictures are a decade old. Okay. I, mean, I still have All that right. suit, but those pictures are a decade old. I just, yeah, you know, we're back on the block. We're talking trash. That's how it goes. Well, no. We look like the uh, two least intimidating members of the Reservoir Dogs gang. Like, <laughs> it's, I love it, though. No, I'm glad really bad. Doing this. Yeah. Well, nothing, so nothing says, like, a, it's a fun Saturday morning, light, fun Saturday morning show, like two dudes in suits. Uh, dressed so like, that, dress like they could be it. going to a funeral. Actually, <laughs> like, I, they're not even, like, I festive suits. Right. We got to get into the uh, what's going How on with baseball. But, <laughs> we, but before we're done, we have to make, we got to get your take on what's happening with baseball. But I, I do want to start with what you your reaction to what we've seen uh, in the NFL and, and mm-hmm. in the last 36 hours, just because the the 
the 180 that Roger Goodell and the league did is pretty stunning. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more than a 180. I mean, that's a couple revolutions all the way back around, you know. And for those of you who want sort of the inside business on this, when you tape around the horn, you know, it's a certain part of the day. And then the news completely changed, and it changed drastically. And it was weird because, you know, sometimes that happens, but not like that. And my first reaction was, I'm glad Goodell spoke as opposed to each individual owner trying to get out there and do something. But at the same time, here's the deal. Apologies are great. Acknowledgement is great. I respected the video that the players put out. But for me, the easiest and best solution here is just let people protest. Like, the whole point here is that that was never that big of a deal. And everybody made a huge scene about it when it took off from the actual topic. And now that we're at the actual topic, okay, all you have to do is step back and say, if it's not religious and it's not political and it's not violent, you can do it. And it's none of those. And so for me, they made this much harder than it needed to be, although I appreciate the acknowledgement. Atonement and apologies are not the same. So where do you go, Clint? We're talking with Clinton Yates, uh, the host tomorrow of the morning roast reunion with Mina Kimes, Dominic Foxworth, uh, 1 to 4 Eastern. For the NFL to really prove sincerity, because we've been there before with the NFL. You know, there a couple of years ago, there was the kumbaya in, re- in reaction to – uh, President Trump referring to players who knelt as SOBs, and you had the dog and yeah. pony show with certain owners kneeling before the anthem with players, arms locked, all that uh, hoopla. You, you've had the the coalition with, with Jay-Z that, uh, and the NFL together, you know, ostensibly about social issues, but it is also about NFL entertainment. And a lot of this has, and by a lot of this, I mean all of it, has not been convincing what in your mind would be convincing in terms of the NFL's conviction? I think what would be convincing is not trying to convince us that you can erase the entire chalkboard just for the latest thing in class. I mean, that, that's the issue here, and that's why I brought up that atonement factor before. All these other things are not going to be forgotten, and the damage and you know how they've affected the league, how they've affected the country, that's all still there. So just admitting that it was wrong certainly doesn't undo the damage that was already there. And if you're not even going to say Colin Kaepernick's name, well, then what are we really talking about? I mean, for me, addressing structural issues requires a lot more than just saying you're going to do it. You have to be honest about what's really wrong. And if you want to look at the pipeline for coaches in terms of, you know, why no brothers or quarterbacks coaches who have the quickest route to offensive coordinator, thus the quickest route to head coaching, you know, we can get into all that, but, like, you got to do it. There's no blanket statement for America on that one. And so while those messages have one purpose, what the NFL needs to do is something that they don't need to talk about. You know what I'm saying? They need to talk about within themselves and do. And so I don't want to expect too much of a league that we know is not exactly nimble in this situation, but i got to give them half a chance because these dudes came out and it actually worked when they said something to How, Clinton, how, how much inertia do you think, though? Because it's – they are a an ownership group that is both small c conservative and politically conservative. How much inertia do you think there will be among owners to kind of pull back to the standard status quo that's been around the league for so long? I mean, I think if you look outside of your window and on your television in America, the inertia is pretty serious. You know, and like I know it's only June and that the league doesn't start for another couple months technically, but you know, I don't, I don't know how much bigger of a statement is going to be made across the globe before owners say, yeah, you know what, we'll just rather be on the right side of history 
and deal with it as it may, as opposed to standing our ground and digging in. You know, that that is obviously gone right now. And if you're going to believe that the statement that Goodell made has any any validity at all, I mean, well, the, the teams have to step back. And that's the thing. They're in a bind now because if some owner pops off and says something crazy and then all of a sudden it makes everybody look bad, well, then what is Goodell even doing? So they've got to be really delicate with it because, like I said, I think the easiest option is still just pulling back, but that's really going to incense a lot of people and you're just going to have to you know, swallow right. the prize. This is America. Uh, speaking of inertia, Clinton, uh, baseball right now and the negotiations going on between uh, – the, the league and the players, and it seems like, if anything, they are regressing. Um, how skeptical are you that baseball actually will have a season this year? Extremely. I mean, I, there's almost a part of me that feels that if I'm going very hard left on this, baseball shouldn't have a season, and they should figure some things out with the CBA and figure out what's going on with the minor leagues, but that's kind of a separate story, even though it's intertwined. However, all the players I've talked to, minor league guys, guys in the bigs, none of those guys are really expecting to play. I mean, they're just kind of hanging around like, okay, sure, maybe they'll tell us something, but there's been no indication since the league cut things off, and I keep bringing back this date because I was at the ballpark in Florida when they called off the league and then continued the game that was happening there because they wanted to get nine innings in. At that point, I didn't really trust MLB that much in terms of what they were going to do to handle pretty much anything, and we've seen that happen. The owners have proven themselves to be, you know, in an interest that doesn't exactly qualify as baseball positive, in my opinion, more financially motivated, which is fine, but overall, I don't think I ever really thought this thing was coming back. It was, you know, bungled from the beginning, and I don't think it's gotten any better, and that is very sad for me to say because I'm the biggest baseball fan I know. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're just going to be stuck with your cards, just you yeah. and your '90s cards. I will hey, hey. say that we only got a, we only got about a minute. Like, like the part that, that I really identified with when you were you were going through that that whole rabbit hole was the sheer amazement of the first time you see an upper deck baseball card and like Bruh. what they were doing. It was like seeing God, elite level design on yes. upper deck. Props to them. That's all I got. <laughs> all right well it is the uh it's it's the, the gang's getting back together tomorrow 10 o'clock uh mm. out here uh you and dominique and mina uh for the morning rest we're, we're excited i'm gonna listen oh, yeah we'll be listening man congrats we routinely bang people up from the network just to get it moving you know what i'm saying so don't slip up you might talk some trash i'm joking around it'll be a fun right. bring it bring it clinton we're here. Okay. We're not hiding. We're just two. We're two guys who do a Saturday morning show in suits. We're not scared of you. <laughs> thanks, Clinton. Uh, thanks. All right. So yeah. that was fun, Andy. The the uh, the Saturday morning happy hour is basically in the books. It is now a thing. Uh, no givebacks. They can't take it away now. It's it's officially on the radio. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up uh, this week on the nighttime show, which you can catch on the station's Twitter feed and on uh, the station's Periscope feed. Monday night, it's going to be Om Young-Masuk talking basketball, talking Lakers. And we will be back here at 9 o'clock for uh, another happy hour. Have a great day, everyone.